it's kind of a joke, but the average sort of ADHD teen can play video games without a break for like 20 hours straight, right? Yeah. But they can't sit in the classroom for 20 minutes without getting bored. Wow. That's that same thing. That so is. it's not yeah. a deficit of attention resources. These elite players are performing way above average on the court, but below average in a film session. Yep. So our goal at Peak Brain becomes to take that hyper-focused, incredible, vigilant, pattern-matching, 10,000-foot view, notice-everything brain and give the person the ability to turn on those resources even when the environment doesn't demand it. What exactly is neural feedback? Great question. Glad you asked. What it is, it's revolutionary in optimizing the brain and being able to create more clarity, focus, and basically overall mental health. And people get stuck in thinking basically you are where you are and there is no way to change. It's not true. Everything is reprogrammable, even your brain. Dr. Andrew Hill is a legend, literally, and the founder of Peak Brain Institute. In this podcast, we did it live in his studio in Los Angeles. I'll be going through three months of brain training for the athlete of the future development we're putting together. Stay tuned for more on that, where we're going to chart, record, and track literally everything. And at the end of three months, we'll bring Dr. Hill back on the podcast and I'll share with you the results and we'll make the assessments and hopefully we'll see a lot of improvement in that I got smarter or I just really enjoyed driving ice cream trucks around with my mind smashing zombies. Dr. Andrew Hill has a PhD in cognitive neuroscience from UCLA, the greatest university on the face of this planet. Focused on lateralizing attention in the hemispheres and the EEG and neurofeedback techniques. In short, he's a genius, as you're going to discover in this podcast how in-depth and sciencey he does get. But hey, to learn from the best, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the best. And Dr. Hill is the best of the best when it comes to brain training. All right, before we dive into this, I have a warning for you. Stop listening to this podcast if you don't want to get smarter. Some of the things that Dr. Hill goes over in this episode could honestly, seriously, honestly change your life and the way you approach each and every day. So it's up to you if you want to have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. I'll let you decide. Dr. Andrew Hill, Peak Brain Institute. Here we go. Let's talk about how we are going to help NBA players, help professional athletes at the highest level be able to become more calm in the moment, more present in the moment, like a free throw late in the game. How is a player going to use this type of brain training to uh, become the calmest, most focused that they can be? Hey, thanks for having me. So from, from my perspective, David, going after elite performers we really want to think about all the bottlenecks in performance. I mean, the act of uh, releasing a free throw or a golf swing or anything else is a complex, overlearned behavior. You know, most athletes aren't really terribly engaged cognitively when they're in that moment of performance, and they shouldn't be. You know, the, the releasing the motor program, the complex thing you've overlearned, is something that should be really automatic and kind of natural. And so affecting performance becomes all about the core sort of foundational things, uh, are, is your stress response where it needs to be? Is your sleep regulation where it needs to be? Is your attention fast enough? Your speed of processing fast enough? So we can look at core regulatory components of sleep, stress, mood, attention, and they don't necessarily have a direct you know, component in performing uh, on the field or the court, but if you can improve the, the regulatory range, if you can handle higher levels of stress before your performance breaks down, you perform better. 
If you can sleep more deeply and with more efficiency, you perform better when you're awake. If you can handle things by being uh, less impulsive with your executive system, your, your, your attention, then you can take just a quarter second more in releasing the ball or receiving a pass or something, and you can stay on and less reactive, more sort of voluntary and less uh, momentum driven by your attention system. So, you know, again, everyone's got a brain pretty much, and we all have different challenges. The challenges that like an ADHD kid would have are really similar to what an adult who's a high elite performer would have. Just the, the what you're looking for in terms of improvement might be different. You know, ADHD could want better grades, but an athlete might want to be able to perform more reliably, you know, the the third quarter, fourth quarter into a game when they've been running at high levels of energy and output, cognitive fatigue kicks in, decision fatigue, you know, deciding what to do in the moment, how to manage conflicting demands, conflict essentially resolution when you want to, you know, turn and shoot one way but someone's blocking you, you have to resolve things competing for different decision making in the moment. And that takes a huge amount of executive function, attention resources essentially. So giving people a slightly better set of resources in managing and filtering incoming information, reacting instead of, uh, sorry, acting instead of reacting, uh, these things all become very sort of fine, subtle tuned things that have a massive change, massive impact once you're actually performing. But they're just working on core brain resources, getting you sleeping better, being more alert, being more flexible, being more creative. These things that are core brain resources will, for the elite performer, show up as performance improvements as you work on the whole brain sort of resources. Okay, very interesting. So at, at Peak Brain, that's that's what you guys are focused on, being able to take people and make sure the brain is functioning at the highest level. So you, you check a baseline to see where yeah. they're at originally and then seeing where their aspects are. Because we went through it today, and it was yeah. super interesting. Like I'm driving around killing zombies and stuff that's with right, my mind. Right. And we'll get, we'll get to all that, but... Let's, let's take it through a process of what it would look like for um, an NBA player to come in here and be able to gain. Let's say he's at baseline. Let's say he's he's not able to stay calm in the moment. He's having a tough mm-hmm. time struggling, coming off the bench and being able to lock in mm-hmm. from the start, maybe sleep deprived. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you see that in the baseline. And then what steps, what would you check? What would be the, the, the protocol that yeah. you look at for him? So we first want to figure out where people are relative to their potential. And so we'll first look at somebody and record essentially a set of resting baselines. So we'll have you sit with your eyes closed, your eyes open, with a full head cap of electrodes on, and measure your brain's resting EEG, uh, brain waves, which we did with you Mm -hmm. a few minutes ago. And we take that resting baseline, compare it to other people your age. So you were compared to several hundred people out of several thousand people in a database who are guys who are your age, essentially. And then out of that, we get a set of uh, statistical maps to tell me how unusual one person's brain is compared to other people like them. Those maps will show me potentially bottlenecks, statistically unusual patterns. And then at a population level, I'll say, oh, this pattern often means an issue with X, Y, or Z. If the person's experiencing that issue, then we know what to go after really, really quickly. And if not, we then just use description of what your performance goals are. But essentially, um, we find patterns that are unusual at a population level. Let's say you have a lot of uh, eyes closed beta in the back of your head. Most people, when they close their eyes, the visual system goes idle, not receiving any input, so it kind of shuts down and produces a lot of alpha waves in the back of the head. Unless you're really anxious, and then you're kind of mentally have your fists up, scanning the environment. With your eyes closed, the visual system is pumping out lots of beta just in case it wants to be ready to process information. 
So if I see a lot of eyes closed beta, I'll mm-hmm. say, oh, are you kind of hypervigilant? And if the person's like, oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Then I know that they're having trouble disengaging their visual attention. They're not as flexible as they could be. Uh, or if I see a lot of you know, eyes open delta waves, I'll say, oh, you look really sleep deprived, or maybe there's a concussion here that's keeping your brain from suppressing eyes open delta. Delta is a sleep wave, essentially. Sleep wave, okay. Yeah, you make a lot of delta when you're deeply yep. asleep and not dreaming. That slow wave restorative sleep. Is that, the, is that the, the, what you want? You want higher delta? Yeah, you need a you lot, lot of delta okay. to consolidate memory, to wash out the metabolic toxins okay. in your brain. And you want to make a lot of, really a lot of robust delta when you're not dreaming, when you're deeply asleep. And then when you're awake, you don't want to make delta. You don't think in delta. You kind of live in delta. The brainstem keeps the heart, lungs, gotcha. all the autonomic stuff moving in delta. Okay. If you see delta when you're awake in the cortex, the top of your brain, it often means if it's a focal spot, that piece of the brain has been impacted, and it isn't sure what to do. So it defaults back to the core brainstem frequency of delta, kind of like a pulse in the brain almost. And so if you see this, you're like, oh, here's an impact spot. Like, we're looking at your brain map right now. Yeah. And you have a spot in delta that shows up about two standard deviations above average from the back right into the right side of your head. And so my idea was, oh, you've received some sort of impact in that location. And then these little extra hot spots of delta mean this part of your brain is staying a tiny bit asleep. And so it's probably stuck between awake and asleep a little bit. Some yep. very mild inflammation or scar tissue or something. You yep. know? We all have wear and tear, so don't be concerned. But... Um, <laughs> This probably means when you're deeply asleep, you're not quite as down as you could be. And when you're wide awake, you probably aren't quite as up as you could be. So if I saw this in someone's brain, I would try to train it away. And we can explain what that is in a minute. But over several weeks or months, this amount of resting delta would go down. And you would feel crisper, more on, have more energy, more quickness internally. And we can look at several features in the brain map that might be related to performance for elite performers. So the average speed of your alpha waves is the resting speed of your processing. So if your alpha waves are a couple of standard deviations slow, your internal environment isn't as quick as it could be. Okay. If it's a couple of standard deviations fast, it's very, very quick, and you know it might be anxiety. So we want to tune it up a little bit if you need it. If your ratio of theta brain waves to beta brain waves is high, a high theta state, that's an impulsive state, and you act physically maybe before you really want to. Maybe you release the ball a touch before yeah, you want to, yeah. or you you know throw the guy, not You're the very, right guy, or right, something. Okay. You know, and if you train down theta and train up beta and get that ratio to come together, over time you develop a lot more self control. You process information a little more rapidly, so you can think quicker and make more decisions in that hot moment. You can be less reactive, and so you can choose what to do with your attention, and your behavior, uh, and that's a relatively easy thing to train. Um, high theta state's also an ADHD state. Mm-hmm. So a lot of elite athletes actually have this sort of hunter versus gatherer mind right. where they're really right. good at noticing everything, not so good at noticing only one thing. They can't stay heads down in a bored environment, but they can notice everything and be synthetic, notice patterns. That's a sort of uh, an extra ability, a superlative ability you have if your attention system is a bit reactive. But it also means you can't sit in a boardroom, <laughs> yeah. you know, for 20 minutes and without wanting to tear your hair out. Yeah. Which is like you can't sit in a film session for more than exactly. 20 minutes, which is very important because a lot of guys can't. Exactly. And, and it's important to say with neurofeedback, we don't rob you of the things that your unique attention system gets you. I mean, some of these athletes can spot things faster than anyone else on the planet. Oh, yeah. They're 90 millisecond yeah. reaction times and stuff, which is huge. And that's only because they're a little disinhibited. We won't get rid of that in neurofeedback. We just take that resource that might be stuck and make it more flexible. Wow. 
So when you, you know, it's kind of a joke, but the average sort of ADHD teen can play video games without a break for like 20 hours straight, right? Yeah. But they can't sit in the classroom for 20 minutes without getting bored. Wow. That's that same thing. So it's not a deficit of attention resources. These elite players are performing way above average on the court, but below average in a film session. Yep. So... Our goal at Peak Brain becomes to take that hyper-focused, incredible, vigilant, pattern-matching, 10,000-foot view, notice-everything brain and give the person the ability, ability to turn on those resources even when the environment doesn't demand it. Because those guys are hunters, essentially. The environment mm-hmm. demands yeah. they're on. So when things are sexy, dangerous, when they're in conflict, when they're on the battlefield, the court, they're on in yeah. a way that is way above average. Yeah. But without that environmental cue, to turn on those resources, they can't find them often. Yeah. And so we simply exercise the, the resource so it's more flexible and more accessible. So 20 minutes into that boring film session, they go, yeah, I should focus. And it just shows and up. To do it. And they have the same kind of vigilance they can crank up even without needing to feel like they're challenged or stressed or on the court performing. Wow. That's so you get more so access rich. to actual things inside of you and they don't rob you of anything. Wow. So it's basically taking all your good abilities mm-hmm. in these professional athletes at the highest level and then... Increasing all the weaknesses too to become up to. The, is there is there a certain uh, ratio that you've seen that that you would look at and be like, okay, this is the ideal ratio that we want you to be at? Is there? Yeah, for, for the theta beta ratio, it's a pretty well established um, at this point. Uh, in fact, the FDA uses the theta beta ratio to diagnose. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a valid tool, anyways, for diagno- diagnosing ADHD. Um, in adults, something above two. Uh, ratio okay. of two to one, two theta, one. To beta theta to beta in amplitude microvolts is usually above that is distractibility problems controlling your attention. Below about one and a half is crisp. Nice. Some adults, some of my highest performing CEOs, elite athletes, their theta beta will be just over one to one. You know, um, again, theta is not bad. You need it for right, certain right, things. Right, right. You need it for receptive attention to be, to be pattern matching, to be receptive and notice lots of things coming at you. But if you have a very high theta, you can't not notice everything. You right. can't put the blinders on. Right. So it's not about, you know, is your brain good or bad? It's do you have control over changing the resource in the moment? And if you do, why not build that you know, resource so you have more reliable access to it? All right. Welcome back to the Game of Life podcast. We've got Jeremy Lin on. Jeremy, what's going on? The two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. He's like the eye of the hurricane because in the middle of the hurricane, it's really calm. And so Michael never tried to stop all the madness around him. What he learned was he just got calm in the middle of it. Stealing that pass at Staples, I was like, dude. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Give Kobe a little glance after that. What's up? Uh, you want to be that person that when they walk into a room, that people are happy to see you. Talk to me about working with Ronaldo. You helped coach Ronaldo to become a great sleeper. A human test tube. Thank you, man. I, I, <laughs> I think that's like one notch up from being a human guinea pig. They'll take it. <laughs> In a good uh, way. And I just pray, man. Like I just pray and I just thank God for, for everything. The moment you realized, man, I'm in the NBA. Oh, man, that was from day one. That was the, the the day I got drafted when I heard my name being called. Buckle up. The Game of Life podcast coming at you, where we bring to you the behind-the-scenes lives of NBA players, business-savvy entrepreneurs, and top-level performers in all fields of personal development. The podcast that helps you become the best version of 
you. Quick break in the podcast to recharge your neuroreceptacles and get ready for the second half of your brain intensive training. I want to tell you about what we have going with the athlete of the future. It's not for everyone. Well, technically it is, but you have to have a passion. You have to have uh, the desire to become the best version of yourself. And what we're doing at dnabasketball.com is we're creating the athlete of the future protocol. So if you go on that website, you can check out All that I'm talking about, the best sleep coach, the best human optimization, best nutrition, brain coaching, adventure, everything packed into one that I'm giving to NBA players to help them become the best on and off court, to NFL players, to top performers at all Fortune 500 companies, and it's coming to you. Check that out at dnabasketball.com. We've been very blessed to have new sponsors reaching out as the Game of Life podcast has continued to grow, all thanks to you guys. So if you could do this for me, tell five of your friends about the Game of Life podcast, why they have to check it out, and have them become Game of Lifers, that would be awesome. So that's your homework for the week, and you better do it. All right, back to the second half of the podcast with Dr. Andrew Hill, Peak Brain Institute. And that's that. That seems like one of the hardest things to do: be able to control your brain. Because even when we're doing the, I'm racing a car, yeah. trying to drive over zombies. Like I'm trying to focus in on it. Then I'll find myself thinking about something else real quick or something else. And then they'll stop. Yeah. Which explain that training game? Because sure. that training game was just unbelievable. <laughs> I, I'd play that all day. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun, which is which is one nice thing about neurofeedback. It doesn't yeah. Hurt. You know, there's nothing to do that's really uh, uh, aversive. Um, so you did a session earlier with a game where we had you race a car across the track, uh, and we were throwing zombies in your way to distract you, essentially. Moment to moment, I was measuring your theta brainwaves and your beta brainwaves. Whenever your theta brainwaves decreased in amplitude and your beta brainwaves went up in amplitude, when both things happened for at least half a second, we applauded your brain by better steering on the course, mm-hmm. and we were making the car make ding noises, ding, 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 and those would occur when your brain did the right thing, and you stay on the track in terms of steering angle. So when your brain did the wrong thing, the car screeched to a halt, the dings went away, and the steering failed. So moment to moment, we're watching what your brain is doing. Whenever that brainwave, those patterns aren't static, so you know, one moment later, you make a little bit less theta, more beta, the next moment, more theta, less beta. And so we're watching that moment-to-moment trend, and whenever it shifts in the right direction, we kind of applaud it and go, yeah, good job, brain. Here's some, vid- here's some visual and auditory input. Yeah. And the next moment, your brain moves in the wrong direction. Theta goes back up. Right. And the software goes, ooh, that's bad. And then it withholds the input. So the car screeches to a halt. The zombies stop coming at you. The music goes away. And the next moment, your brain moves in the right direction, and the software notices it and goes, oh, yeah, good job. And applauds what's happening by more vid- visual and audio input. And the process is almost entirely involuntary. You really couldn't control what you're doing. No, there's times I tried to control it and it wouldn't Mm -hmm. go. And yet you notice that big distractions cause the car to screech to a halt, right? So you noticed it reflecting what was happening internally, even though you couldn't control it. Mostly it's because we're measuring what just happened in the last 100 milliseconds. And so you can't really control things that just happened anyways. And the time course is so fast that you can barely perceive them. Yeah. So what happens is for the first couple of sessions of neurofeedback, the brain kind of goes, wait, why did this stuff keep happening whenever I shifted in this direction? And then it starts to take control of that process, the brain, not the mind. Right. And after a few days of this, the brain starts producing the brain waves that produce more input because it likes input. We only provide input for certain things it's doing. It does more of those things. So you can think um, classically in psychology, this would be Skinner's pigeons, not Pavlov's dog. 
Mm-hmm. So Skinner's mm-hmm. pigeons already pecked. Skinner wanted them to peck in a certain way. So you shape a behavior until it becomes the behavior you want. Reward them for one peck, then two pecks, then three pecks, and now you have pigeons that peck, you know, three yeah. times. Yeah. Pavlov's dog took things that weren't associated, salivation and bell, and you yoke them together. This is not that. We're right. Not, right. We're not conditioning you to do weird things. We're taking things your brain already does and burgeoning them or, or kind of relaxing them. And so we have this lovely opportunity to come up with a bunch of ideas about what your brain might want from the brain maps and from the attention testing we do. And then we start exercising certain resources. And after a few days, you go, oh, hey, wait a minute. This is changing. Mm-hmm. And after several weeks of this, we train about three times a week. About 20 sessions in, things are really quite different usually. Remap your brain. Remeasure your attention. And that's enough time to make a big change. Refocus your efforts based on what's changed in your data. And then do another 20 sessions. So in, in about 40 sessions, we can usually eliminate... Uh, all or almost all attention problems, sleep problems, stress response <laughs> problems, get people to turn on the zone reliably, fix their sleep, be, you know, get rid of any trauma, sort of reactivity stuff, pull the teeth of deep emotional things, work on creativity, Man. all in about 40 sessions. And then a lot of our clients will fix, quote unquote, a problem, you know, fix their performance anxiety or their, you know, whatever it is they're working on, their sleep issue, their anxiety in those 40 sessions, and then they want to keep going to see what else they can take control of once they realize they have control over all these internal resources. That's the, be- that's the best part that we do is, well, look, it's not a black box. We can look at what's going on, puzzle out together what your neuroscience is telling us about your performance, come up with a set of theories about what will work to give you higher performance, try those things, Man, and see what so happens. Cool. It's gentle enough that if we try something wrong and you feel a little weird, we just don't do it again the next day. Yes. And we try something else. And so it's kind of like walking to like an elite personal trainer yeah. and you and the trainer build a machine together, work you out and go, hey, how'd that feel? I don't know. And we iterate and try to really fine tune machines that are built specifically for your brain over time. And so after several weeks of this, I'm doing things with you that I may never have done with anyone else wow. because you've been saying, yes, that works, do more. And, and we just gradually create new protocols for you based on what you're experiencing. But that's really cool. So everything is customly for Absolutely. exactly what's going to help the person learn at the best and yeah. grow at the at the best. That, that's awesome. And you use the example of being going into like a training session. You don't just want the same thing. This guy over here is mm-hmm. getting or this guy over here is getting because it might not necessarily help you. So that's you're right. able to analyze everything, where the person is at, where they want to grow to, and through running over zombies, that's one that's way that right. we get there. That's right. And, and you can do lots of training. <laughs> right. You can play video games. You can yeah. watch simple animations. You can also do things like maybe you want to watch your film about your last that's game. That's great. And we'll throw that a shadow over the, over the screen. Whenever your brain is distracted, the shadow wow. shows up and you can't see the game. And when you're focused, the screen's crisp and you can hear and see the game. It's actually, that, that, that'd be really good so for individual film. To, to be that'd be on. really good while you're doing the thing that you want to do. Yeah, that's so, awesome. So, like, build a resource, but also build it on task. Yep. And, and you, you said, a, said a line earlier, in the zone. Like, yep. for NBA players, that is the ultimate the ultimate mm-hmm. key. I do a lot with players just through trying to be able to reimagine or visualize their best game or their mm-hmm. best their best moment in, in on-court and basketball ever and trying to be able to recreate that every single game. Through all the neurofeedback, they're able to become more... In the zone in these types of moments. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot of work being done across every aspect of professional sports with their feedback. Golfers, NBA, NFL, soccer players, pretty much everyone's using it, but it's all little tiny individuals using it who've discovered it. I mean, the NFL is probably the biggest organization that's running with it because right. there's such an emphasis or an awareness these days on brain injuries in the NFL. 
But we can work on people that have injuries and fix the injuries, or we can work on the most highly performant, you know, incredibly mm-hmm. high-level CEOs, athletes with nothing wrong, and still crank it up a notch for you. So the, the joke I tell is we only work with people that have brains. That's <laughs> it, you know? That's awesome. You can see a lot of people. That, that's what we talked about earlier, too, just being able to follow your passion be able to see that you're helping so many people at so many different levels, whether it's injury, whether it's a concussion, become more mentally clear, clear, or these, these peak performers perform at the highest level. It's, it's it really, is, you know, really rewarding. Peak performers often are these incredibly performant people. That's what yeah. they're doing, right? And I often expect, especially with athletes, to see you know, nothing wrong, so to speak. And yet, I usually do see a lot of wear and tear. I would, you know, it's important to know that brain injuries, uh, half of all brain injuries are silent. There's no symptoms. You feel like your bell rung for a second, you shrug it off. And then 10 years later, you're a little slower than you used to be. You're a little more anxious. You're not sleeping as deeply because of the wear and tear. And so a lot of what we do is that broad, oh, here's some things that really just need to be sort of sorted out. And I see like a lot of a lot of the, the real serious athletes, especially football players, are often like ex military guys or yeah. really really yeah. physically large guys. And when you're a 400 pound guy who's hitting other guys all day long, your brain, you know, da- gets damaged. Because NFL uh, NBA players aren't quite as bulky, but they're still six foot, six and a half, seven foot guys. And when you're moving through the air and you catch an, uh, an elbow in the temple, your brain rebounds against the inside of your skull and causes a bruise or mild damage. You do enough of that, and there's accumulated wear and tear. So a lot of what we do is just clean up all the accumulated wear and tear for people, too. And it, you know, we, we all know we can go to the gym and get a fitness assessment and work out hard, get some elite trainer to work us through the body we want to have or the, or the physical performance goals we want to have. It's important to remember that the brain is actually more changeable than the body. So things happen faster, and you can do more. I mean, I'm never going to be six feet tall. It's never going to happen. I'm like 5'10 or something. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Right, right. But you could be 15% smarter or sharper or faster or better rested. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things can be changed. So a lot of what we're trying to do with Peak Brain is go, look, there's, there's tools accessible. Let us demystify the neuroscience, tell you what is likely to be the biggest needle mover in terms of where your bottlenecks are and what will likely move for you. And then exercise to get those specific things showing up. So a lot of what I emphasize for people is don't be satisfied with anything your brain's not doing for you. You know, if you're freezing up, if you're not, if you're burning out, if you're stressed, if you're not rested, if you're drinking too much, if you can't not be stressed out or angry at your spouse, whatever it is, those things are changeable. That's an awesome point. Yeah. You know? Don't be it. A lot of people think that's just the way they are. That's just the way they are, but they can't rechange it. And you you talk about concussions. We looked at my brain, and I had a concussion back in high school, Mm -hmm. and there's still effects yeah. from it. They're yeah, still maybe little eyes up in Delta, yeah. So yeah. you're probably, I mean, you're, and you're a high-performing guy. Right. No sleep issues. Don't feel like you're burned out. Right. I would guess you'd be a tiny bit foggy and fatigued from the brain map. And yeah. you're like, nope, don't feel that way. So I'm kind of looking forward to a few weeks from now when we've gotten some training sessions in and you're sleeping like 10, 20% better and waking up more crisp. And you're like, oh, I didn't burn out until 10 p.m. today instead of 7 p.m. or something. It's a little tiny needle mover That's, for you. See, I'm all about that. Anything that can keep helping me improve, I'm all for. I feel like I have a lot of energy right now. So after this, I'll just be bouncing off That's the right. That's bouncing right. off the walls and with more coffee for sure. That's right. That's right. So going forward, as as the NBA and players and athletes, mm-hmm. uh, for you guys at Peak Brain, what do you think are the main uh, the main issues that like? 
how teams are going to be able to incorporate this into their practices or into their protocols. Like, how can we put you with the team and, boom, all the players, okay, they're seeing this, they're Mm -hmm. getting better. Well, I mean, you know, certainly having a sense of let's keep looking under the covers at what the brain is doing is a valuable perspective. I mean, do you know if you're impulsive or how much? Do you know if your speed of processing is slowed down from wear and tear? You might not. And you might not, let's say you have a rough season where you catch a lot of elbows. It might be worth knowing that you've actually gotten a slower brain at the end of the season than before so you can do something about it. So first of all, just assessing brain and behavior periodically to see if your attention performance and brain activity is roughly what you want it to be. And then you can catch big changes in that so you can correct it faster. But also, regardless of what's wrong, neurofeedback can take your brain and make it sharper, crisper, more self-controlled, more relaxed. So within a few weeks of working with a team, we can get all of your players feeling different. And 90% of them will have a dramatic shift in self-control, flexible attention, and deep sleep. And that will, of course, affect the body if you're sleeping better and more alert, more calm. So you get, actually, a lot of times we work with people that are um, working with personal trainers, and oftentimes the personal trainers get very excited when neurofeedback is added in because all the personal training starts to change faster. Yeah. So like an injury goes away faster, or people get, you learn this skill, they're trying to learn a little faster, and suddenly we can maximize body-based work by training the brain. So... um, the broad, the, the the short answer is, regardless of what you're struggling with, we can probably shore up resources. From the point of view of a team of athletes, there'll be a certain amount of those guys who have some stress response stuff, some attention stuff, aren't well rested, are you know fighting through injuries, and I mean aren't having as much you know deep sleep as they need or something. And when you train, let's say twenty guys. 15 of them will have magical changes in the next few weeks yeah. that everyone will notice. And the other five will be slow and gradual improvements, you know. But it'll be really obvious for most people. So I challenge any NBA guys out there to test me on this because I will get you feeling different in a way that you'll notice and people around you will notice within a few weeks. That's so, so important. And, and no pun intended, but is that is an absolute no-brainer for teams and players to, to work with you because – at the at the highest level, everything comes down to the details, right. and they invest so much money into everything. Right. And it's interesting, like a lot of the things that they're they're using, it they don't really know how to track as well as they should. But like with this, it's basically they're gonna improve. To they're what level improve, they yeah. it, it it'll vary, but exactly. they will. And improve. it's all individualized. I never know if it's gonna improve right away yeah. and hugely, or a few weeks later and gradually. You know, but it's always checking back in, seeing what's happening, seeing how you're responding, trying some new things, and pushing you, pushing you, pushing you harder from a brain perspective. Yeah. So, um, you know, a ve- uh, the kinds of things you could do to your brain or your mind or your performance, this actually changes you permanently oh, wow. in two to four Man. months. So things start shifting in a few weeks, and then a few months later, you have new resources on board, which affect everything you do with your brain. So it has a pretty broad set of benefits on and off the court for players. Wow. That's like how cool is that just to think you can reprogram your brain? That's right. That's unbelievable. Rewire it literally. Re- literally, yeah, yeah rewire yeah, your brain. Yeah. Have you are you able to talk to about any just like big time success stories that you've had that really stand out to you? I mean, not in, not individually by name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot of people um, who come in with a specific challenge. You know, I've seen people have seizures every day oh or you know, athletes that have sort of lost their edge and want to try to get back on the court, yeah. or, you know, a couple of fighters that have sort of been not quite, you know, they're, they're getting a little bit older and they're not <laughs> yeah, quite as sharp. A few concussions. Um, yeah. A few concussions here and there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I work with a lot of guys who have had concussions and I can almost always, um, in maybe four to six months, 
not only wipe out the post-concussive, slow, irritable, foggy kind of stuff that shows up, get them better than they were before the concussion. And that's happened a handful of times with some pretty high-level guys who were like, oh, you're an athlete, and God, look at your brain, man, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I, like, I can talk I can about Ben. Ben Greenfield and I worked together. And, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, we looked at Ben's brain. Initially, we were like, dude, what have you been doing to your brain? You know, like, <laughs> you've a lot of wear and tear here. Yeah. And it took, like, six months, you know? I worked with him a little bit in the office, sent him home with some gear, and we worked together, you know, off and on. And about six months after we started working together... He shut down all of the distractibility and wear and tear markers that we saw when we first worked together. And, you know, Ben's kind of a crazy guy. He'll stop and, like, pull out a training system on a, on a mountaintop, hook himself up, train, put it back in his backpack, and keep bow hunting the rest of the day. Oh, so yeah. He usually carries a system around and trains periodically to stay sharp. And one of the most efficient people I've ever met in my life. So, whatever. He has to be. He does yeah. way. He does a lot of stuff. Oh, I know. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're getting him with some NBA teams, too, for right. optimization just overall. Man, you guys paired up with NBA teams. Yeah, that's right. That's Bo- wins Bo- body for sure. And that's right. That's that's, right. that's great. Uh, any any other party notes? Like anything that you do particularly on a daily basis to keep your brain sharp? Like, like that people could take away from here. Let's say they can't come in uh, specifically yeah. to get trained, but like things they can do. Yeah. To well, obviously, most people listening are probably athletes. So my right. first my first thing is always you got to move often and you got to sleep well. But yeah. athletes know that, right? Yep. They're all really yep. on that. Yep. The next thing we do here at Peak Brain, uh, as part of our brain training programs, we do a lot of mindfulness, actually, meditation. Okay. Um, all of our brain training clients get a private one-on-one session every month with a coach for practice development of meditation. Um, people that are local, we have free meditation groups in the evening several times a week. Mindfulness, um, for folks that don't know, is nothing special, meaning it's not some magical spiritual thing. It's simply practicing anchoring your attention, executive function. Classical techniques, ancient techniques are just that anchoring your attention. So the definition I give for mindfulness is uh, paying attention to the present moment in a specific way on purpose with curiosity instead of judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, If you practice that for 10 or 20 minutes every morning, you will develop a fatter cortex, more self-control, more executive function, better sleep, better stress regulation. 20 minutes a day of meditation will actually make a change. It takes five or six weeks to show measurable change for most people. But you can do it without equipment. I mean, you're carrying around the gear you need with you all the time, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, your brain. Yeah, okay, exactly. <laughs> it's yours. You might as well take, make use of it. You know, it's your responsibility. Take control of it. Um, and once you know how to do enough of it, you can then meditate standing in line at the checkout counter, you know, when you're on hold on the phone, whatever. And you can practice that skill periodically. That will make as much of a difference as neurofeedback. It's just much longer term. Mm-hmm. And I sort of view neurofeedback and mindfulness like the personal trainer and the personal coach. Mm-hmm. Where neurofeedback, we're helping you build resources, like doing reps in the gym. Right. Where mindfulness is the coach helping you with that release of the ball and the fine nuanced voluntary technique. So that as you build the raw resources with the neurofeedback, our, the mindfulness helps you learn to integrate and use those resources internally faster. So when people do both neurofeedback and mindfulness, they seem to accelerate skills in both. When they add in hardcore physical workouts, everything blows up in terms of change. We have a, a Ashtanga yoga studio right next door. Oh, okay. And a lot of NFL guys go there. to work. Really, Ashtanga is one of those really hardcore yeah, yeah, yeah. athlete yogas, right? Oh, for, for, yeah. for men. Yep. Um, and so a lot of guys work out early next door, come right here, work out their brains. By 9 a.m., they're off to their day, having worked out body and brain pretty aggressively. Or they That's come back really at night. cool do brain training, and then stick around for meditation in the evenings. Okay. So we kind of function stack and do a lot of body, brain, and mind work. And I find when you add enough of these things, three, four of these interventions, 
discontinuous change happens in your performance. One or two, small changes happen. Three or four, massive change. It's like a multiplier uh, in terms of yeah. interventions. Yeah. So I like when people want to stack a bunch of interventions. Meditate, do yoga, do neurofeedback, do some sleep hacking, you know, something. Uh, adding three or four interventions seems to create the fastest change. That's great. And, and people can just do one of these things slowly to progress up to Absolutely. that. I'm jumping on all four. Cool. I'm bringing players out here in the summertime, and we're going We're going yoga right here. Nice. And you got meditation at night as mm-hmm. well here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the guy next door will do one-on-one privates for teams and things, too. Like the, the NFL guys, I'll come over okay. twice a week and work out with Very them. Very cool. So. Do you do anything for meditation in particular? Do you, do you use any apps? Do you use any Not anything? using apps. I actually do don't like sit? apps. Yeah, I don't yeah, either. Just, I really don't I, either. I kind of feel apps are like training wheels. Yep, I bicycle, agree. bicycle, right? So and you depend on it, yeah. If you're, a, if you're a bicycle rider, you know that actually steering involves pushing the bike the other direction and then catching the fall. Mm-hmm. You have to make it fall a little bit and then catch the turn, called reverse steering. Yep. Straining wheels prevent that. So you're upright. And when you first take the wheels off, you fall over. So I think that guided meditation is like training wheels, where you don't learn to notice, hey, wait, I'm distracted. Let me exactly. let it go and go back to the anchor. Exactly. That's one rep, and you have to do hundreds of those in meditation yeah. to do it. And if you're distracted, great. Lots yep. of opportunities to do that returning to the anchor. Yep. So if you're using, I mean, I, I, there's some great apps out there, but I find most of the apps and most of the lead meditations to be sort of beside the point a little bit. It's right. really what you need is the basic technique of anchoring your attention, however that works for you. Oh man, this has been absolutely eye-opening to me, and there's, I mean, there's no doubt there's a there's a need for it, a huge need for it in professional sports, just for everybody in general, and this is where the athlete of the future is going for sure. Absolutely, I mean, for and, sure. And this dovetails with things like quantified self, oh, looking man. at your labs and your your sleep your sleep data and your activity data. This is just one more aspect of data. Why wouldn't you look at your brain activity yeah. and learn from it? I mean, just like you would learn from your A one C levels and your T levels and your, right. and your cholesterol distribution. Right. That's meaningful for performance and health. So is your theta beta ratio. So is your speed of alpha waves. So is if you're making eyes open slow brain waves, which means an injury or yeah. sleep issues. These are all pretty robust markers that are not quite as meaningful as like a blood pressure marker, but informative and you can get a really nice picture about your own performance and where the bottlenecks are for you and then go after it and change it and that's the exciting part too like just knowing that hey my brain can become i can increase my brain's capacity that's that's so cool we'll link to everything that we talked about in the show notes and hopefully we can show some of my sure results i don't know if i want to show those results or not but (laughs) we're going to keep it growing with that and now let's just keep talking about ways that we can give with teams and players. And I mean, I'm all on board to help you guys grow Sounds this great. year. And and I just really appreciate your time, man. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. On the and show. so you have so you have the Peak Brain here in L.A. You have yep. a few other locations. We do. We have the big flagships are in uh, the west side of Los Angeles in Culver City, as well as St. Louis. And then we have smaller offices in downtown Los Angeles, uh, Costa Mesa in Orange okay. County, and downtown San Diego. Awesome. And then we're opening up in uh, Sweden and Dallas this summer and maybe a few more locations as well. Very cool. And you still teach at the greatest university I do. I in the UCLA. world. I at UCLA. I uh, gerontology courses all about peak aging, how to age Ooh. and be high performant as you get older. Okay. Birthday coming up. I might join That's one right. of those classes. That's right. You might need to. Yeah. <laughs> well, really appreciate your time. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, my pleasure, David. Thanks for okay. having me. Okay. Thank you. Big time thank you to Dr. Andrew Hill for coming on the Game of Life podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope 
Overall, you learned something. You can take something away from today listening to Dr. Andrew Hill and make yourself become the best version of yourself that you can be. Because that's what the game of life is about. Helping you enjoy each day even more. Waking up with a vigor, with a passion to just attack each day. And just loving life in general and learning, of course. So as you know, the three pointers of the week will be coming to you in an email each and every week. If you go to dnabasketball.com and register you can check out more about the athlete of the future everything that we have going in that sense be a part of the inner circle dna inner circle and just continue to grow with the game of life podcast where all those podcasts that we've done in the past they're there to check them out and make sure to go to itunes and leave a review five star so we can continue to have all these peak performers coming on the game of life podcast and next week got a treat for you one of the best brand builders and overall motivators that you've ever seen. Coming up in the Game of Life podcast next week. But until then, remember, life's a journey. Enjoy it. Game of Life, David Nurse, signing off.